This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes by just using the promo code CEU when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation, Adjustment Disorder Case Study Using the PACER Method. You remember from the last couple of Thursdays, we're just exploring different diagnoses and applying the PACER Method to look at some of the biopsychosocial causes of or correlations, if nothing else, of specific symptoms as they're related to um, particular disorders. And we're going to continue that today with adjustment disorder. I am Dr. Donnelly Snipes. And as they say on Law & Order, the following story is fictional and does not depict any actual person or event. So our case today is a girl named Dana, a woman named Dana. She's 18 years old as a freshman attending the University of Gallifrey. Anybody who gets that reference, bonus points. This is the first time she's been away from home for any length of time. She did not get a bid to the sorority she wanted to join, does not like her roommates in the dorm, and is finding it difficult to attend classes and keep up her work. If you work in student mental health, this is about the time of year that, well, beginning September 1st through now, that these issues start coming up. And this is about the time of year that a lot of students start reaching their tipping point, if you will, because we're past midterms, we're almost to the end of the semester, people are starting to get tired, they're starting to get antsy. It's been, a, for people who are freshmen, They've been away from home probably now for longer than they ever have been, so some of that homesickness can be setting in. So there's a lot of issues that may be coming up for uh, new college students. And obviously, this is someone who is living on campus at the University of Gallifrey. So for Dana, on, average, on an average night, how much sleep does she get? Maybe an hour of REM, half an hour of deep, and three hours of light. She says she just can't seem to sleep. Her roommates wake her up a lot when they come home, you know, one to two times. She has two roommates. She lives in what they call a triple, and her roommates are coming and going at all hours of the day and night. On an average night, how do you feel after an average night's sleep? She says tired. You know, she's just not even on nights that she gets what she considers a moderately decent amount of sleep, she's just not getting quality rest. When you wake feeling refreshed, how much sleep do you get? She says, you know, somewhere around eight hours with at least two hours of deep sleep as measured by her fitness tracker. Remember, fitness trackers differ in their interpretation of light, REM, and deep sleep. So if you have a Garmin and somebody else has a Fitbit and somebody else has a something else and they're all measuring sleep quality, it may not, they may not be the same. So you want to make sure that that person is using that watch um, throughout treatment or if they switch watches, if they switch brands, they recognize uh, what's going on. I know when I switched even... From a Garmin to a Garmin, um, I upgraded to this one, and it measures instead of just light and deep sleep, it throws in the REM sleep, and my numbers change dramatically from getting, you know, 
two and a half to three hours of deep sleep every night to, you know, half an hour, 90 minutes of deep sleep. And, you know, the REM took away some of that and it got, the numbers just jiggled around a whole lot. So it's important for people to not get set on any hard and fast rules about I need this much deep sleep. Um, but what, with whatever device they're using, what levels do they feel good? Do they feel rested? As with all of my clients, and I've said this every time, I give everybody a sleep hygiene self-assessment because I have yet to meet anybody that has perfect sleep hygiene. Nutrition. Having or use an app like Spark People, track your nutrition for a week. What nutrition nutrients does she get less than 75% of the full RDA? Selenium. That's one of those weird nutrients that is present in your multivitamins and some of your enriched foods, but it's hard to get the full RDA naturally. And everything else she gets plenty of. So there's nothing that she's grossly deficient in in terms of her nutrition. When was the last time she had a full panel blood test? She doesn't remember. She's like, I don't know. At 18, they're not, doctors are not generally doing a full panel blood test on you every single year. That's when you start getting older. So that's not surprising to me. Um, describe your eating habits. She says, I've been eating a lot of pizza and Jimmy John's lately. So in my mind, I'm seeing, you know, fats, carbohydrates, a little bit of protein, but lots and lots of carbs and very few vegetables. There are some, you know, get some green peppers on that pizza or spinach on your sandwich or something. There's a little bit of vegetable in there, but probably not a lot. And living in the dorm, you know, you don't have your own big refrigerator. You may have one of those little dorm-sized refrigerators. So a lot of people who live in the dorm do not have good nutrition um, if they're not going to the uh, cafeteria or they're not on a meal plan or something because it's really hard to keep stocked with food when you've got, you know, three cubic feet or whatever it is. Um, and when they do go to the school cafeterias, I know when I was in school back in the olden days, it was an old-fashioned cafeteria, and it was a lot easier to eat healthfully. Um, now, I went back to my alma mater, and you go into the student union, and it's just fast food place after fast food place after fast food place. They're all on the food plan, but there are very few places that are really providing an emphasis on good nutrition. Most places you can go and you can get a salad if you want to, but there's not the emphasis that they're used to be back back in the olden days do you eat due to stress for, or for comfort when you're upset she said yeah she eats to help her stay awake at night when she's studying she eats you know she'll go down to the vending machine and get m&ms to reward herself if she's studying um in her dorm room or whatever do you drink at least 64 ounces of non-caffeinated non-alcoholic beverages each day she says yes well that's good she carries a water bottle around campus with her that's awesome. How much caffeine do you have on an average day? She says right around 600 milligrams. You remember that depending on what you look at, three to 400 is your recommended top limit per day. But um, a lot of people, especially, well, I shouldn't say especially college students. My, my children are both in college now, and I know they both tend to partake in more caffeine than is probably ideal for them because they're going to... Um, coffee shops, you know, not necessarily the big name ones, but they're going to coffee shops where the 
coffee tends to be stronger and they're getting, you know, a great big, you know, large coffee in the morning and then a large coffee after lunch and then they're having sodas and stuff in between. Um, I know this. I'm not foolish enough to think that it's not happening. It's just important to recognize and for people to be self-aware of how much caffeine they're taking in and when they're taking it in. They found that caffeine that you take, if you have caffeine, uh, like coffee first thing in the morning, the impact on your HPA axis and your cortisol levels is much more negligible first thing in the morning when your cortisol levels are naturally going up than it is when you, if you take, partake in it at two o'clock in the afternoon or some, sometime later. So the later in the day you drink caffeine or use stimulants, the more it artificially increases your cortisol levels. I thought that was interesting. So when they're using it is almost as important as how much they're using. Additionally, remember, caffeine has a very long half-life. It can stay in your system for 8 to 12 hours. So what you drink at noon could still be impacting your sleep and keeping your HPA axis revved up up to midnight depending on how quickly you process it and get it out of your system. You know, those are just all little things to remember. Am I a proponent of cutting out all caffeine? It would be nice, but 99% of people are not going to do that. And that's okay. It's just being aware of when you're using it and how much. She does not use nicotine or vape or use any sort of products like that. She doesn't feel like she's over fat or under fat. Uh, she hasn't had problems with excessive thirst, hypoglycemia. She hasn't recently gained or lost a lot of weight, which is actually kind of surprising for freshmen, especially freshmen living in the dorms. Most of us are aware of what they call the freshman 15. And a lot of people, when they start college, because of the ability to eat less healthfully, and be on a different schedule and a lot of other things. A lot of people do tend to gain weight in their freshman year, but she's managed to avoid that. So good. Has your doctor tested your blood sugar lately? No, she hasn't had a blood test. Do you mainly gain weight around your belly? She says, no. Okay, this is a good thing. This tells me that one of those factors indicating persistent um, HPA axis activation and cortisol problems, that um, metabolic syndrome, she doesn't have those factors. She doesn't have any risk factors for diabetes. So we're good. That's not going to contribute. She's not taking any medications, not even a multivitamin. So we skipped past that. She has no chronic pain, which is good. She's 18. I wouldn't expect her to. Does she exercise? Yes. She generally exercises every day for 60 to 90 minutes. Um, her energy, mood, and appetite after she exercises are good. So when she's exercising, it's helping redu redu ah, release those endorphins and increase her serotonin levels, and it's working well for her. She's not evidently over-exercising at this point, and it's something she's doing that is helping her, her mood and, and uh, everything. She reports she does sleep better on days that she exercises, which again points to the affective benefits of even moderate exercise in um, increasing serotonin, which we know serotonin is broken down to make melatonin and helps everyone feel, well, not everyone, but it helps a lot of people feel calmer. Um, too much serotonin can cause anxiety. Too little serotonin can cause depression. You need it to be just like um, 
the, uh, oh, who was that? Goldilocks. It needs to be just right. Does muscle soreness make it harder to sleep? She says no. She doesn't lift. She just typically does uh, cardio, and that doesn't seem to bother her muscles. What best describes your energy level? She says low. You know, she struggles to get through the day, which is why she's drinking 600 milligrams of caffeine. Um, she has not had her thyroid levels tested. Her resting heart rate is a 70 with an O2 sat of 98. So her oxygenation is good. That, that's awesome. A lot of Americans tend to breathe shallowly. We tend to breathe through our, our chest instead of our gut. And when we do that, it reduces the amount of oxygen we get in. One of the main reasons we yawn is because we're not getting enough oxygen to our brain, not actually because we're tired. What contributes to that? Well, one of the main contributors to that is wearing clothes that are too tight. And, you know, I've really liked this uh, new stretchy pant thing that's popular now because <laughs> it's a lot easier to breathe even after a big meal. Uh, but it is important to make sure that people are breathing and, and uh, getting good oxygen sats. A resting heart rate of 70 is perfectly within range for somebody of her age. She doesn't have high blood pressure or heart conditions. That's good. Again, wouldn't expect that in an 18-year-old. Her sex drive is low. Uh, hasn't been any change in her sex drive lately, and she reports that she is celibate by choice, not because she has no interest in sex, but she is celibate by choice. Okay? She reports no history of trauma, autoimmune issues, head injuries, um, seeing spots or floaties, migraines, um, any of that. The following feelings. She feels happy, um, you know, zero to three days a week. She's, you know, kind of struggling right now. She's feeling blah. What that five things help you feel happy? She came up with one, uh, going home. She's not happy at school. She hates her professors. She's missing home. So the follow-up question is, okay, if there aren't five things that help you feel happy right now, what things used to make you feel happy or did you enjoy? She said her dog. Um, she's got a dog that is just the love of her life at home. She enjoys working out. Well, she's doing that now, so I might point out that that's there, but we'll go. Her friends, and these are her friends from high school. Planning for college. She used to make her happy to think about going to college and getting that um, freedom and, and meeting new people and having all these intellectual conversations, and that's just not happening. So her, her thoughts of what it was going to be like have been very drastically different than what it is like. And photography and hiking. Um, and, you know, so I'll think about those as we start working on that hardiness exercise later. You know, I'd like to see her ideally make time for photography and hiking. And she can even use that as a reward or a reinforcer for doing some of her homework. Um, she feels sad or depressed four or five days a week. She says she's just always blah, and nothing really helps her feel better. She's just going through the motions. Not uncommon for student people who aren't getting enough sleep. Not uncommon for students who are homesick. Not uncommon for, for a lot of reasons. She feels stressed or overwhelmed more than five days a week. She feels stressed about class assignments, grades, and her scholarship. She's on an academic scholarship. If her grades go below a C, then she will lose her scholarship. 
And when asking her what her grades are after midterm, she's got A's in all of her classes. So again, that's one of those things we're going to talk about with cognitive distortions eventually that yes, could your grades drop and below us at a C average? Yes, anything's possible. How likely is it that you're going to go from straight A's at midterm to less than a C average in the next six weeks? Probably pretty unlikely, but that'll be something that we'll discuss. Um, talking with her about her class assignments, they're just so much different than high school. When we're in high school, we are often spoon-fed. And things are broken down into small little segments. Your papers that you have to do in high school are often one to two pages. When you get into college, all of a sudden you hit the ground with a four-page paper. And before long, you're doing 10 and 20-page papers. And they feel overwhelming. Um, what's expected of her for the, in the different assignments, she feels like the expectations and the rubrics are not clear. The teaching style is very much different. And in college... Most of the time, classes and in her classes, the grades are based on four or five major assignments. And in high school, you had, you know, 15 or 20. So if you're really messed up one, then you would have the opportunity to, you know, overcome that with some of the other assignments because nothing was a super significant chunk of your grade one of her finals is actually worth 40 percent of her grade so she's a little freaked out about that again what helps you feel better nothing uh, she's feeling really stuck right now because she's she's like this is why i'm here i don't know what to do she said even when she gets her assignments done there's going to be more and and they just never stop it's an ongoing you know she gets through this one assignment and she gets a good grade on it. She's like, okay, I can breathe for half a second. And then the next assignment comes up and she starts freaking out about it. In the past year, I've experienced the following losses. Um, she didn't get into the sorority that she wanted. And that's a huge issue. She, there was only one sorority she wanted to get into and she didn't get a bid. And so that's a big issue for her. She broke up with her high school boyfriend. Um, they decided that since they were going to be going to different colleges, it was a good idea to take a break. And she didn't identify moving to college as a loss in so many words, but it's sort of implied. So I have that in italics because that's something we're going to talk about. Um, a lot of times when students go to college, the they leave their home. They leave what they've always known. They leave being a big fish in a little pond. They leave behind the routine. They leave behind their family. And sometimes when they go to college, they come home and their family has basically, not basically, the family has repurposed their room. All of a sudden, what used to be their bedroom is now dad's office or yoga studio or something. And that can feel very devastating to a uh, to a lot of people who go off to college and then come home. What stressors are currently present? School assignments, roommates, no social support. She doesn't have any friends that she identifies at school. She doesn't feel like her parents really get it. She's told them that she feels stressed out about school. And since she was the valedictorian at her high school, they minimize her anxieties and her frustrations and her fears and they just tell her you'll do fine honey you know just don't worry about it 
Um, and she feels like a failure. She used to be a big fish in a little pond. She was on the dance team at, at school. She was popular. She knew everybody. You know, she was in a thousand person school. Now she's at a 30,000 person school and nobody seems to notice her. If she doesn't show up at class, nobody notices. If, you know, when she was in high school, people noticed if she wasn't there and she feels like she's sort of invisible. What's different when you're happy? She says, I can focus more and I'm more responsible. She recognizes that she's just got this screw it attitude right now and it's not helping her, but she doesn't know how to overcome it. How long does it take for you to get calm down after you get upset? She says, plus or minus an hour. Um, what helps you calm down? She watches TV or goes on a run. Um, going on a run, obviously, you know, helping use up some of those stress chemicals. Watching TV is more of a distraction. But, you know, in terms of distress tolerance skills, there are worse ones that she could be using. Cognitively, her concentration is awful right now, which is expected. She's not getting enough sleep. She's unhappy. She's got some depression going on. Now, remember, with adjustment disorder, you can have symptoms of depression, but as opposed to being qualifying for the criteria for full-blown major depressive disorder, adjustment disorder tends to be less in severity and traceable to a relatively clearly identifiable cause, which in her situation seems to be coming to college. She's having trouble adjusting to this life transition. She's never been diagnosed with ADHD. Um, her ability to concentrate has really just gone down since she came to college. She thinks it could be due to lack of sleep, depression. She doesn't know. Um, looking back three months prior, you know, that was right about the time she was rushing the sorority. And if you have ever gone through rush, fraternity or sorority rush, it is grueling. It takes a lot of time and energy and it's emotionally as well as physically draining. So she kind of started out the beginning of the school year by using up a lot of those energy resources. It seems to be taking longer to process information. Her memory is awful. Um, she says her forgetfulness started a couple weeks after she got here, which would be right after rush. When you think about yourself, your life, the world, other people, do you tend to feel angry, suspicious, or hopeless? She says, yeah. You know, she's, in general, she just doesn't really care that much about what other people do, but, you know, she feels resentful about a, her, towards her roommate. She feels resentful towards the sorority where she didn't get a bid. She feels hopeless about her current situation because she knows she can't drop out of college because she's expected to finish college. She can't go back home and go back to high school. She just feels really stuck. Have you always felt this way or did something happen to change your feelings? She said, I came to college. It's not what I thought it would be. My friends got into sororities. I didn't. And I don't think I'll do well on my finals. Negative self-talk. Do you frequently judge or criticize yourself? She says, yes, I've always been a perfectionist. It's the way I am, the way I'll always be. Do you hold yourself to a higher standard than you hold other people? She said, no. She expects other people to be perfectionists too. And that's good to know because there's a lot of, there are a lot of times where people hold themselves to higher standards than other people. And that causes a certain amount of consternation. But it can be doubly frustrating 
when you hold yourself to this high standard and you have difficulty meeting it, but then you hold other people to a similar high standard and they don't meet it, it can feel like nothing and nothing and nobody will ever meet that standard. Do you think you are lovable or likable only if you are perfect or almost perfect? She says no, but I put a little asterisk by that because she frequents frequently judges or criticizes herself and identifies herself as a perfectionist. So there's some incongruity there. Where did you learn your negative self-talk? My family's very successful. My parents always achieved anything they put their mind to. Here's some extreme words in there, always and anything. And when I fail, I disappoint them. So when I fail, I parenthetically always disappoint them. So I'm hearing a lot of extreme thinking and a lot of mind reading. She's assuming she's going to disappoint them. Um, she's assuming she knows what's going to happen with her grades. She is, she's assuming already that she's going to fail. There's a lot of assumptions that are being made here. Pay attention to your thoughts for a week. Place a check by the thinking errors which are most common for you and contribute to your unhappiness. So you can give this to people before the assessment or you can give it to them in the assessment to bring back for the first session. You know, that gives them something to do between the assessment and the first session. And remember, assessment is an ongoing process. We need to be aware and, and regularly reassess to see, you know, because life is not static. And as things change in life, then things might change with our clients in unexpected ways, sometimes for the better. So for her, she was having a lot of all or nothing thinking. If I don't pass this exam, I'm going to fail and I'm going to drop out of college. Focusing on small aspects of the problem instead of the bigger picture looking for reasons why she got didn't get in, into her sorority, looking for the fact that a professor didn't like a particular comment in her paper as opposed to looking at the big paper. You know, yes, he left, you know, 17 constructive comments, and I use the term loosely, on your paper, but overall, you ended up earning a 90% on that paper. So, you know, Instead of focusing on the fact that it wasn't perfect by the professor's standards, let's look at what was the overall grade and, you know, go from there. Expecting life to be fair. Um, you know, it's not fair that her friends got into the sorority and she didn't. It's not fair that her boyfriend is happy doing whatever he's doing at his new college and she isn't. So we looked at living in the end, the fact that life can be unfair and she can still find ways to have a rich and meaningful life. Taking things too personally, you know, why she didn't get into the sorority, why the professor is always, quote, so mean on her papers, whatever the things that come up. Consider looking at alternate explanations and focusing on the negative and ignoring the positive. So learning about radical acceptance. There are going to be positives and negatives to just about everything. So thinking about you came to college and it's not turning out the way you thought it was going to be. So that's a negative. What are the positives that you might be able to get out of college or, you know, what is going well in your life right now, even if college is not part of what's going well? Hardiness. Well, she has no children, so she doesn't need to worry about focusing on that. With her parents, she says they just don't understand. I feel worse 
after I talk to them. There's nothing that she can control about that. So she feels like at this point she wants to talk to them less. And while I'm not going to recommend less contact with your parental supports or your social supports, you know, we did put that in there just she doesn't feel like there's much in that relationship she can control unless she succeeds at school. Friend one, she identifies as her best friend from high school. They're still in touch, but not as much, nearly as much as they used to. And she does identify that she could text her best friend from high school more. They still get along. And um, even though her, her best friend from high school got into a sorority, maybe consider putting that aside and being friends with her despite or and even though that her friends in a sorority friend number two she said you know i really just don't have any friends here and the rest of my friends are just too busy with their sororities and their new boyfriends and this and that so she identifies that she could try going to church or a bible study to see if she could make some friends there she could start teaching spin again to meet people she used to do that when she was in high school and really enjoyed it and we know she loves to exercise or she could find somewhere to volunteer. She enjoys doing volunteer work, and at least that's not, you know, necessarily on campus. With regard to school, what parts of this can she can control? Well, she can force herself to go to class. And, you know, she's just, she's, she's hating it right now. And I think most of us can think back to professors that we had that were just, oh my gosh, it was, it was so challenging to go, to go to class. I had one professor who used to literally highlight everything in the book that he wanted to lecture on and then he would read to us from the book that was the entire class and of course the test also came from everything he highlighted so my best friend and i figured that out so we started sitting in the front row and we would figure out what he highlighted so we did better on the test but i digress um she can force herself to go to class does that mean she has to love it no certainly does it how can she make that rewarding well we'll talk about talk about that in a second she talks about studying at the library before going back to the dorm because it's hard to get motivated to study once she's back at the dorm you know the desk isn't really that comfortable she's all by herself there's you know no peer pressure to study at least if she's at the at the library there are other people studying so kind of one of those misery loves company sort of thing and she says she can bring coffee to class to make it more tolerable all right, whatever works for you. Uh, one thing that I did put in here, again, parenthetically, uh, is I might talk to her about signing up to get paid to take notes. Back in my day, there was only one place, and it was local, but the Internet didn't exist. But <laughs> nowadays, there are multiple places people can sign up online, and they can upload their class notes and actually get paid to share their class notes now if you're taking english 101 at the university of gallifrey and somebody from the university of florida needs english 101 notes they may not be the same notes but it does it's kind of like the cliff cliffs notes um for your classes and what a professor lectures on or teaches on or tests on from one semester to another may not be exactly the same but it is helpful some people are really awful note takers some people just are do not do well in a lecture environment i know i don't give me something to read and i am happy as a pig and slop make me sit through a lecture and i want to pull my eyebrows out so <laughs> i understand this i'm not an auditory learner god bless y'all for being here but 
that is one way that she might be able to motivate herself to go to class if she knows that there's a reward, there's money involved. For the um, living situation, since her roommates seem to be kind of inconsiderate and coming and going at all hours, she can try to transfer to a single, which is going to be a little more expensive, but if one's available, then at least she'll be able to get through the semester. Uh, she can consider getting earplugs and a sleep mask. Um, she doesn't have to worry about waking up to, you know, if a child starts to cry or something. So earplugs are definitely an option if she feels comfortable doing that. And she says she wants to find a way to afford to live off campus next semester, which goes back to getting paid to take notes and possibly getting a job teaching spin. You can't teach more than two or three spin classes a day, and that's three is a lot. So... Both of these are very, very, very part-time jobs, but they may help her save up some money. With regard to pets, she really misses her dog. She used to run with her dog all the time, and, you know, he slept with her, and, you know, her dog was an emotional support animal. She's going to consider moving off campus so she can have her dog with her. And, you know, moving off campus is going to mean talking to her parents about, you know, adjusting financial support. They're paying for the dorm right now. They would have to pay for a um, pay for a apartment instead. But, you know, if she's willing to help make up the difference in cost, maybe that would work. I don't know what her parents' feeling are, is going to be about that. Money, she says there's no problems with money. She's not overly concerned with money. She doesn't shop a lot, uh, but she is financially comfortable. Volunteering. She said she might think about volunteering in order to meet some new people. Um, she's maybe considering um, volunteering at animal shelters, but when, when that came up, she started thinking, you know, that would be really sad because she's, you know, might fall in love with a puppy there or a dog there, and then uh, it would get adopted or, you know, other things might happen. Um, which, you know, I suggested, well, make sure where you volunteer is a no-kill shelter. And uh, so that, you know, made her feel a little bit better. But she's kind of hemmed and hawed on that. Health-wise, health she says she can start eating better. She feels better when she eats better. Do what she can to improve her sleep and continue exercising. Time management. She says... She's never been good at managing her time, especially when it comes to school. She used to do fourth period homework and third period. Um, do you often take on too much and feel overwhelmed or rushed? She says, yes. You know, she's one of those people who always thinks that she's got more time than she really has. So she's often takes on more, more, to, um, more tasks than she really has time for. Again, she's a perfectionist and recognizes that that tends to make her a little bit irritable. If she can't get something perfect, she gets irritable. And if other people are not perfectionists, she gets irritable with them too. So there's a lot of irritability going around. She does tend to procrastinate, um, especially on things she doesn't want to do, which, you know, go figure. Um, she says, I just don't have the desire to do homework or laundry and stuff, so I put it off until it's a crisis. And uh, so we talk... You know, one of the things we're going to look at is getting through the semester because that's one of her challenges and also helping her feel less stressed and in crisis all the time. 
She says when she's procrastinating, she feels just fine because she's doing things that she kind of enjoys or she's watching TV, but then she gets home and she realizes, oh, crap, I've got this paper due tomorrow and I've got to pull an all-nighter, which is also contributing to her sleep problems and she's not getting her assignments done to the quality that she would like. She says she feels safe. Campus feels safe. Again, she's considering earplugs or noise-canceling headphones to make it so she can sleep better. Her first response was, what can you do to help you sleep better? Her first response was, uh, move. Um, so we know where her head is and her motivation is there. During the day, are you able to access natural light or at least a really bright working area? She walks to class, so that really helps set her circadian rhythms. That's a good thing. When you sleep, are you able to make your room totally dark or block out the lights? No. You know, those roommates again, coming in, turning on lights, making noise. Do you eliminate blue light from television and electronic devices at least two hours before bed? She said, "Is no, I play on my phone until I fall asleep. Another thing we might talk about when we go through that sleep assessment, sleep hygiene assessment. She's not exposed to any noxious, unpleasant, or irritating smells. Um, nothing, no smells remind her of anything particularly unpleasant. You know, no significant trauma history. Happy, relaxing, and energizing smells. Coffee. She says she loves the smell of coffee. She likes the smell of the gym, not the stinky sweat sock gym. But, you know, when you walk into a clean gym and there's just, you can smell whatever cleaner they're using. She likes that. And then just different air fresheners, you know, that she likes the smell of. There's nothing in particular. And, you know, encouraging her to make sure that those aromas are present in her life, you know, throughout the day. Because the more ways that she can trigger positive feelings and positive chemical reactions, the easier it is going to be to re-regulate her HPA axis and help her kind of get refocused. And she says she's able to keep her environment at a temperature she finds comfortable. Um, in the dorms, a lot of times it's just generally regulated. Do you feel you're capable, lovable, and deserving? She said, I'm not sure. Okay. She says she used to be really confident, and since she got here, it's just all so different and not what she expected. When I asked her about whether she has healthy relationships or fears abandonment, she says, my pan parents won't abandon me. They'll just be disappointed if I don't continue to be the best, which, you know, she was the valedictorian of her, her class. Okay. So, you know, we may need to look at mind reading and expectations, but That'll be for a couple weeks down the line. Can you effectively identify and communicate feelings and thoughts and get your needs met? She goes, uh, apparently not. Uh, her roommate, she's tried to talk to them, and they kind of ignore her and do their own thing. Her parents, she's tried to talk to them, and they minimize and dismiss her concerns and her feelings. Um, so there's, she doesn't feel like she's being heard. Do you have a social support system that can provide practical assistance and emotional support? That was just a flat no. She's like, you know, my friends are too busy with their new lives and they're enjoying their sororities and um, my parents just don't get it and my boyfriend is going to another college and I'm just, I got nobody. So there's a lot of isolation. Dana is struggling to adjust to college. In high school, she was the valedictorian on the dance team and very popular. The study habits she had in high school are not helpful in college. She has difficulty budgeting her time to study and do her assignments and experiences a great deal of anxiety over her grades being comprised of just a couple of tests or papers. She anticipated college classes to be enthralling and college to be an adventure. 
and is very disillusioned to find that her freshman classes feel like a rehash of high school. Part of her feels like the work is so easy she can get it done at the last minute and she has difficulty getting motivated to get started. Then she ends up pulling all-nighters to get the work done and turning in less than her best work. She identifies that her mood and desire to do anything changed significantly when she was rejected from the sorority. Her friends from high school are all in different sororities. And she doesn't really know where she fits in. She has two roommates. One is rushing a sorority. The other just stays out to all hours. They wake her up when they come and go, and she has very little in common with them. She tried to talk to her parents, but they told her that everyone goes through an adjustment period and blew her off. She's worried that they will be disappointed if she doesn't get straight A's. Her boyfriend went to another college, so they broke up before the school year started. She thought she would be so busy with stuff at college that she wouldn't care. But since college sucks so bad, she can't stop thinking about her boyfriend and the good old days. Currently, she's not sleeping much, and when she does, it's not well. She reports feeling exhausted, foggy, and generally apathetic. So there's nothing really sticking out here. I'm not getting any sense of suicidality, homicidality. Obviously, that's a whole different assessment that I do. Um, you know, your orientation to person, place, time, and that kind of stuff. But she, she's just, she's really struggling right now. And obviously, when we want, want to intervene before she, A, gets into academic problems, B, drops out of school, or C, becomes clinically depressed and suicidal. So, you know, there's, this clearly could go south. Dana will figure out where she fits in and develop social support. This is her first treatment plan goal. She feels like a fish out of water right now. And yeah, she understands even in high school, she didn't enjoy every single course. So, you know, she can accept the fact that in college that's going to be the same way, but she just has no attachment, no connection to the university. Uh, Dana will complete a compare and contrast of high school and college to figure out what was different in high school that made her happier and work toward recreating some of that. She was very involved when she was in high school with different clubs and activities and dance team. So that's one of those things that she's probably going to find when she does her compare and contrast that getting involved will help her feel um, more a part of something. Dana will enhance her social circle at college by exploring volunteering and, and like I said, a humane society is with a question mark. Um, they are, humane societies are no-kill shelters. So that was one of those places that she thought she might be willing to think about volunteering at. Um, but she wasn't. And getting a job teaching spin. That was one thing she came up with on her own. She really feels at home in the gym. So this will give her a sense of purpose. When she's at the gym. Dana will make a plan for moving out of the dorm next semester so she can have her dog at school with her and go to the dog park. Well, there's a plan and that means she has to talk to her parents and, you know, figure out how they're going to pay for it and all that kind of stuff um, if they expect her to make up the difference or, or whatever that is. But she seems very clear that that's one thing that she really needs to do for next semester. So, encouraging her to start making a plan and figuring out what needs to happen for her to be able to move out. And Dana will start texting her texting her best friend from high school at least twice a week. Right now, they're not even talking that much. So twice a week is not overkill, even if her friend is actively pledging a sorority. I'm sure she has time to respond to 
a couple of text messages per week. Dana will develop better study habits, rekindle her enthusiasm for college, and reduce her anxiety about her grades. Dana will take a master, make a master study schedule and post it over her desk so she knows when the different things are due and she doesn't end up with six assignments due on the same day. Um, she will learn about learn about and practice, that's supposed to say chunking, um, which is breaking assignments down. When you have a four-page paper due, you know, break it down so you write the thesis statement and then give yourself a break and then do the outline and then give yourself a break and then write the rough draft and give yourself a break. You see where we're going with this. Instead of sitting down and going, okay, I've got to write this paper and expecting to write it from beginning to end in one really long sitting. Dana will sign up to start getting paid to take notes so she can save money to get an apartment off campus, and it will encourage her to go to class. She'll get involved in the Undergraduate Honor Society for her major to explore what upper division has to offer. I remember lower division classes were awful. I hated them uh, for the most part. There were a couple that weren't so bad, but I knew what I wanted to do in upper division and getting involved with the upper division honor society, which is where you're taking all those classes that are in your major, um, can remind you of what you've got to look forward to and get her involved with people who are already in upper division and so she can have some of those intellectual conversations she might want to be having. Dana will find a study buddy to help her get motivated to do work in a timely manner. If you can find a friend in your class and you can... Even if you're not working on the, a, a group assignment, if both of you have to work on that same paper, then you can go to the library together and work on the paper together. And, you know, it's another one of those misery loves company sort of situations. If your friend is going to the library, you tend to feel more obligated to go than if you just say, well, I'm going to go to the library and there's no obligation to someone else. Dana will make use of her professor's office hours to get feedback on projects or papers before turning them in. Being a you know, former professor, I used to get so frustrated. We had to have office hours and people wouldn't come. And I'm like, you know, if you want feedback, I'm here. You know, I have to be here. You might as well make use of the time. Uh, since she's concerned and she feels like the expectations and the rubrics are unclear for her assignments, if she prepares an assignment, you know, makes a best effort and then goes in and talks to the professor ahead of time, she can probably get some feedback and improve her assignment. That's another one of those things that I don't know about y'all's high schools, but we didn't have that in my high school. The teachers weren't really available for office hours, if you, if you will. So uh, encouraging people to college students to understand the different resources. Yes, college is very different. The assignments are different, but the resources are different too. Dana will improve her sleep by getting earplugs or noise-canceling headphones and a sleep mask to help her stay asleep despite the noise in the dorm. You know, if you've lived in a dorm, you know that even if it's not your roommates coming in and out, there are doors opening and closing all night long and people coming and going. And that will help her improve her energy and focus throughout the day. You know, we'll talk about how if you don't get enough sleep, your brain can't clear out all of the adenosine and it can make you foggier the next day. And Dana agrees to add a blue light filter to her phone to help with sleep. She's going to still play on it till she falls asleep, but she's agreed to add a blue light filter so her brain 
doesn't get the it's daytime cue. Dana will reduce her anxiety and depression by addressing cognitive distortions, especially catastrophic thinking, personalization, and focusing only on a couple aspects of a situation. She'll start doing one thing each day that makes her happy. And, you know, I encourage her to do one thing besides going to the gym because we know she already goes to the gym every day. And that wasn't cutting it. It was helping, but it wasn't getting her past her, getting her past her blah. So whether that meant photography or, you know, finding somebody off campus or going to the dog park and and loitering and petting other people's dogs, whatever you want to do. That was another thing that she did bring up. When she had her dog at home, she used to love going to the dog park with her dog, let the dog play, talk to the other dog parents that were there. That was something she enjoyed doing. So I think getting a dog, getting her dog up to to school with her will be very beneficial. Dana will begin each day with positive forecasting and end each day with positive reflection and radical acceptance. That doesn't mean we're ignoring all the negatives um, because there are things that come along that you've got to deal with, but it's important for her, and she she agrees to try, starting each day, envisioning it going well, and getting through it. Maybe she won't love sitting through her English class, but she envisions herself getting through it, and then uploading those notes to get paid. Okay, that makes it happy thing for her. Um, and ending the day with positive reflection, identifying at least three good things that happened that day. And it may take some struggle. To find good things that happen every day, but even some of the mundane things like, you know, it was a sunny day, so it was a nice day to walk to class. Um, Family sessions are currently not a consideration due to her parents living in another state, and it's not something she's really excited about doing, so, you know, that's not not on the treatment plan. Dana will work through her grief issues and counseling regarding her breakup, not getting a sorority bid. And not being a big fish anymore. And, you know, helping her being, start figuring out how to be a medium-sized fish in a little corner of the big pond is kind of what we're, what we're looking for with helping her get involved at the gym, maybe volunteering and getting involved in the um, academic honor society for her profession. Dana made the school schedule and started chunking. She found that it helped her to get her work done if she made herself go to the library instead of going back to the dorm. She has started using her professor's office hours and feels more confident in her ability to effectively do her work. Getting paid to take notes has significantly increased her motivation to go to class and pay attention. She's not sure if it will help with her grades, but she's not falling nearly as far behind and hasn't pulled an all-nighter in two months. Dana still hates the dorm, but she talked with her parents and they've agreed to help her move off campus next semester and bring her dog up to school with her. This improved her outlook. When comparing to high school, Dana realized that there she felt noticed and appreciated. She's found a couple extracurricular groups that she enjoys going to. She hasn't met any, quote, real friends yet, but she does report feeling a little bit more connected. Dana reports that she still hates her classes, but she now sees them as a way to pad her GPA before upper division, which she envisions as being harder. She still holds some bitterness towards the the sorority, but realizes that holding on to that anger is not going to change anything. She does her best to avoid those women right now and focuses her attention on new activities. Ideally, we'll work to the point where she can deal with that grief and move to acceptance so she's not trying to avoid the trip. Any of, any of those women or being reminded of it because there are lots of reminders of sororities and 
and things. But for right now, she's taken steps that helping her reduce her stress and and bitterness so she's not feeling that and seething in it every day she's worked through some of the grief related to her breakup she's recognized that it represented yet another rejection in addition to the sorority and was focusing on that because she thought it was something she might be able to change she kept thinking you know i, I couldn't get it i didn't get into the sorority but i might be able to get my boyfriend to get back together with me yes we're at different schools but maybe we can get back together and then she realized that he was happy doing his own thing at the new college and she felt really devastated because she was powerless there too dana found positive forecasting and reflection and radical acceptance helps her focus on the bigger picture which has also helped reduce her catastrophizing. Unlike depression and anxiety disorders, which generally have no identifiable trigger, adjustment disorders typically have a clear cause. When life changes, even if it's for the better, like you have, you get married or you go to college or you have a new baby, it throws your world out of balance and you have to adjust. The things that you used to do, the way you used to do them, may not be able to be the same anymore. Dana recognized how college was more than just a different school and identified ways to bring her world back into balance. Are there any questions? And P Pat is right. If you have clients who are separated from their animals or just don't have um, time or ability to have animals on their own, you can go to shelters. And I do recommend going to the no-kill no shelters because it's less depressing. Um, and either run with those dogs, take them on walks. Just a lot of shelters will let you go and snuggle with the dogs or work on obedience training. Um, you know, most humane societies are very open to having volunteers come in and do whatever because a lot of these animals are in cages for weeks or months on end. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.